And also, this is the burnt offering, which is maybe the cornerstone offering of the Old Testament. And the fact this is unusual, I think it's helpful for us to be able to get used to, or at least familiar with these, this wording. I am going to ask Stephen to put the, the PowerPoint up. And this is the tabernacle. And you can just have that visual in the background because this is talking about the tabernacle and the service there. And some of the questions you might want to be asking, well, what, is, what does geography have to do? You're going to hear some directions, some north and some east, and what, what, what's going on there, and who does what? There's a lot of different actions going on by different people, and maybe you have some other questions too. Some of them we'll be answering in the sermon, and maybe you, can, you have some others that you might want to ask after the sermon. Let us give careful attention to God's word from the book of Leviticus. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his head his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire in the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift is a burnt offering from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priests shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall not, he shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, right now as we come before your word, we know that we need your spirit to work in our lives. Would you grant us knowledge and understanding? Would you give us humble hearts to tremble before your word? That way we'd not only be informed, but changed and shaped and molded into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, who doesn't like a good superhero, good superhero story? Wouldn't you like it? Wouldn't it be nice um, if a superhero would step into your life and, and take control when something went drastically wrong? 
That's good for now, Stephen, as far as the slide goes. Let's say you're heading down 55. And as you're heading down, the trees have been, the roots have been soaked by the deluge yesterday. And there's a tree that's dead and it starts to fall. And you see it out of the corner of your eye. And before you know, it's going to be too late. It's going to hit you. And then out of the corner of your eye, you see a flash. No, it's the flash. And he comes and he knocks the tree off course and, and it hits the guardrail. And, and you pull over and you're shaking and you look at the tree and you walk over and you say, well, thank you, Mr. Flash. You just saved my life and my kids. And he says, not a problem, sir. Not a problem, ma'am. Just my old day's work. Then off he goes. Superhero stories. Very popular today. Right? They grab your imagination. They, you're, you wonder at this impressive being who, who jumps into your life to save the day. Do society good. And, and, and there's kind of a formula. The superhero does their thing. You get rescued. We, we, we're grateful. We, we give them a little praise. They humbly accept. And then they, they go back to their alter ego and we, we live on our lives. That's not how it works with Jesus, is it? Jesus is very different. Yes, he came into the world. In many ways, he was impressive. But he embraced weakness. His mission wasn't a side job for three years. He, he taught about who he was and what he came to do. He trained disciples. And for anyone who would receive his rescue, he says, take up your cross and follow me. I think most Americans wished today that God was more like a superhero. But that he would use his cosmic powers to get you out of trouble, out of those tough spots, but then humbly accept a little praise and then go along his way. But Jesus is not your superhero. He's your savior. Jesus died as a sacrifice to deliver you from God's righteous wrath. And he saves you for himself. Not like the superhero who, who snatches you out of the air and lets you return to life as normal. I got this theme from, from a book called God Breathe. And, and the author says this. Superheroes transcend us, but they don't try to transform us. They're, they're impressive, they're powerful, they're bigger than us. They transcend us, but they don't try to transform us. They don't say, okay, now follow me. But, but Jesus' sacrifice for you is far more than plucking you out of the air. It changes your life. And there's, there's two ways to understand sacrifice. He, he gives his life for you as a sacrifice, but then he calls for you to live as a sacrifice for him. That's the sermon idea tonight, that you are a living sacrifice. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12.1 and see if you can hear the Leviticus language as he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, draw near, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And what Leviticus does is it, it helps you understand what the New Testament means when it talks about you being a sacrifice. So here's the roadmap for the sermon tonight. First of all, we're going to talk just a little bit more about the sacrifices, give you a little bit more introduction. And then we'll talk about the burnt offerings in particular. That's what most of chapter one is. We'll look at this passage and branch out to others and then go back to that idea that you are a living sacrifice for the Lord and apply that to our lives tonight. So let's look at some of the sacrifices. You know, there's, there's five main sacrifices from chapter 1 through chapter 5 or 6. Um, so, so why are they grouped this way? You've got the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. How, why are they grouped this, way, grouped this way? There's not We may not have a firm answer, but there's some ideas. The, the first three seem to be 
their own set, and these are voluntary. They're, they're spontaneous. This is something that you can do whenever you want to come to the Lord. Now, there's times when you're required to do it. There's times both for the individual and the society, but, but it's also something that it's a way that you can express your glory and glad, gratitude to God spontaneously. These are pleasing to God. You'll hear the phrase, pleasing aroma to the Lord. It talks about presenting or, or drawing near with a gift. Remember from last week, there's that, that word, karev, to draw near. It's the same root word for the gift that you're bringing to the Lord. So, so these first three are, are, are often voluntary gifts that we bring to God. And then the second two, these are required. You must do this when, when you sin or somehow break God's law. And here the focus is on forgiveness. And that's what you hear much more, the language of forgiveness and purification and removal of guilt. Perhaps they're also grouped in priority. The burnt offering, which is first, is the main offering. It's it's perhaps the standard offering in the Old Testament. In fact, it it is so common that later on for the fellowship offering, it talks about the priests offering this offering on the altar of the burnt offering. It's it's so ubiquitous. It's it's all over that you can even talk about the altar, altar as being the altar of the burnt offering. Just a couple observations here. The, the main burnt offerings, the, the, the offerings, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, the sin offering, they roughly prefigure what we experience through our union in Christ. Right? The, the catechism helpfully talks about when we are joined to Christ, we receive certain benefits, certain things happen to us. Right? One is that we're justified. We're made completely right before, before God. You see this in the sin offering where we're purified. The blood covers the altar. We're made clean. The place is made clean. We're acceptable before God. It also says that we're sanctified. Right? We, we become set apart for the Lord. And that's what you see happening here in, in the burnt offering. And also we talk about being adopted into God's family, becoming part of his people. That's something that you see in the fellowship offering when you have a meal with God. Now, these are not one-to-one. There's, there is overlap in different offerings that would say, would actually talk about maybe more than one category. Almost all of them talk about atonement, so justification. But you can see, in the Old Testament, God giving us these pictures to show us even the fuller reality that we will experience of Christ in the New Testament. And, and God used these sacrifices to bring his people near them. They really did accomplish that. He really did accept them. And in doing so, they look forward to what Jesus will do when he he finally accomplishes his sacrifice on the cross. And and so as we're looking back, not only do we see God's mercy to his people, but in the picture to us, how how Jesus fulfills God's plan that through these sacrifices, I'm cleansed. I'm set apart. I get to experience a meal with God. One more thing to note, that although they have this perhaps idealized order where they talk about being set apart and experiencing fellowship with God first, and then, and then sin afterwards, dealing with sin, that might be an idealized version of what, what, it, what it would be or could be. In reality, the all, the, our order is, when you see them together, it is always sin offering, burn offering, fellowship. So when Aaron and his sons are ordained, this, they have to be cleansed before they can be consecrated, before they can have a meal with God. This, reflect, this reflects the reality of who we are and what we need before God. The goal is fellowship, but forgiveness must come first. So let's look at this burnt offering then. First of all, let's look at the ceremony. You can put up the, the slide one more time. And so 
so here you bring the, the blameless male to the entrance. Notice that you go from east to west. And, and really here, for, for this offering, it stops before the entrance of the holy place. You, there's, there's washing, and there's the burnt offering, and not shown here. It does mention it. You might have heard it in the text. There's an ash heap that would be between the burnt offering altar and the gate. And so you bring in a blameless male, which is, which is supposed to represent purity, and he would be the most expensive of that type of animal. And you would place your hand on the animal, once again, that's saying that this animal represents me. And then you would, you would kill the animal. And this, this verb for kill here is shahat. It's a, it's a ritual killing. It's only used of sacrifices. And then the priest comes in, he takes the blood, and in this case, he, he throws it against the base of the altar. And then there's all this washing and arranging. Maybe you can answer some questions here. You'd be asking, who, who does what? You notice, that, you notice that the worshiper kills and the worshiper washes, but the priest is the one who takes the blood. Why, why is that? Well, the, the priest is the holy one who wants to, is to stay away from death as much as possible. The, the, the blood actually represents the life of the animal, but as the one who's identifying with it and as the one who is, who is clean, but not necessarily holy in Levitical standards, we'll talk about that more. You are the one who's to kill it, unless, unless it's the priest offering it for himself or the nation. Well, what about the insides? Did you notice that the person takes the insides and he washes them and he washes the legs? What's, what's going on there? Well, again, so once again, this is, this is where you would have animal excrement, and, and this was considered impure and dirty. And so, not that it would remove all of the germs, but in, in a symbolic way, we, we are preparing this and making sure it is clean and, and presentable before the Lord. And then, and what about the directions? You notice that you were to kill the sheep or the goats in the north, and then you threw the bird crop, if you were sacrificing a bird, to the, uh, the, the ash heap on the east. We're not quite sure about the north. It might be that there was some extra space up in the north. Maybe this was shifted down a little bit. And if that's the case, it was the side that had more space, and it was, pragmatically speaking, the place where it was best to kill the animal. We're not 100% certain. There is a definite significance to taking the bird crop and moving it to the east, because the crop is where the bird would have eaten the insects, and insects were considered unclean. And so you're removing that part of uncleanness from from the bird, and you're putting it in the, the place that is furthest away from the Holy of Holies. Because as you get closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, you need to increase in purity and cleanliness. And what we see here, and what, what seems to be strange to us and unusual and foreign things, is a great desire for holiness. We, we need to preserve God's holiness and the Holy of Holies. We need to preserve the priest's holiness, who is not to touch anything unclean. And so after a washing and, and actually skinning and arranging the parts, then the priest burns the incense on the altar. And literally, this, this word for burn here, it's used for sacrifices, it means to turn to smoke. All of it is burnt. Now, the Greek word in the Greek Old Testament that is used to talk about the burnt offering is holocaustos. You might sense and you, know, you might hear our English word in that, the holocaust. This is burnt offering that everything is devoted to the Lord. And in, in the Hebrew, katar, it means to turn to smoke. It's the same word, same root word as the word for incense. Incense is kataret. And so this idea is this is being turned to incense. 
Now, what's the, what's the purpose of this burnt offering? Burnt offerings are used for many different things in the Old Testament. I hope now that as you go through and you're reading your Old Testament, when you hear burnt offering, you won't just think offering, but, but burnt offering. There's something, something specific here going on. And so you could go into lots of different ways it's used, but I, I would say there's two broad categories to try to make things simple. There's a category of atonement and then consecration. And if you hear echoes in the theme of Leviticus, delivered and devoted, you're probably right. It's one of the reasons why the burnt offering might be first. It sums up the book of Leviticus. So let's look at the burnt offering with atonement. Now, we've covered this a lot in the Easter sermon, so we're not going to spend too much time here, but but we should look at it a little bit. Do you remember some of the four aspects of atonement that I mentioned last week? There's, There's a price. There's a damage that has to be repaired. And then there's a penalty that needs to be paid. The, the, the debt has to be satisfied. There's propitiation. God's relationship needs to be restored so he can go from being wrathful to pleased with you. And then there's purification. We need to be cleansed. And the burnt offering addresses most, um, most fully the idea of propitiation. God being pleased with us. And going from being angry to pleased. A relationship restored. Look at two words in verses 3 and 4. And the first one is, uh, the worshiper brings the offering so that he may be accepted before the Lord. This idea of being accepted is to have, to have favor or to be, to be, for God to be pleased, to be appeased. In, in Genesis 33.10, after Jacob was the trickster and he, he, he stole his older brother Esau's birthright, and then he ran away. And so much later in his life, he's coming back with his family to his homelands, and he finds that Esau's coming out with a large army. And he thought, we're in trouble. He could do us serious harm. And so if you remember, he divides his family up, he wrestles with God, but then he sends out these gifts to Esau. And Esau says, brother, why are you bringing these to me? He says, well, he, listen, listen to what he says. Jacob says, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present... From my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now, that, that word for present is actually the, the same words used for the grain offering next, next chapter, next week. But this idea of, of being accepted by Esau, and so God here accepts the worshiper because of his sacrifice. And so there's the first word, acceptance, and then this is acceptance for atonement. We talked about this last week, and we will continue to explore this, wor- this word as we go through Leviticus. But here, a, a brief understanding of atonement. It was, it was used to pay the penalty. It would be called a ransom. So, so if, if, if there, was, there was a charge against you and you were guilty, and this was the punishment, maybe it was death, you could ransom your life if, in, under, under circumstances with an atonement. Also, it means to cleanse or to turn away God's wrath. It's, it's a very similar word in the Greek here that is used in the New Testament when we talk about propitiation. Think about 1 John 2, where he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation, almost the same word, for our sins. And not only ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, again, atonement turns away God's wrath. And so when this offering is given, it's accepted to make atonement, then the Lord is pleased. You probably heard as we read three times an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And God's holy wrath is averted, and he brings blessing instead of judgment. 
Uh, Let's look at two examples. We'll just turn to one. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. This is the account of the flood, God's judgment on, on sinful humanity. And if there ever was a judgment or a curse poured out in the world, it certainly was the flood. So let's look at, at Noah's response to God after the flood subsides and they come out. Genesis 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You can turn back to Leviticus. See, what, what kind of offering was it? It was a burnt offering. And it averts God's wrath against humanity. And once again, he goes from this the situation of cursing God, or cursing creation in this case, to offering a blessing. You see how the burnt offering is used there as, a, as, as turning God's favor. Uh, we're not going to go there, but you could also look at 2 Samuel 24, uh, verses 24 and 25. This is where David sinned, and the Lord disciplines him in Israel, and he offers a burnt offering, which eventually will be the, the hill where the, the temple is. And God averts and relents from the plague. Now, we're not going to really apply the atonement aspect of the burnt offering. We spent a good bit of time on that last week. But I pray you are gripped with the picture of Jesus becoming the lamb for you that takes your place. And in a day in a world where, where people on the outside, and even some Christians are very comfortable with saying, well, God is love. He can just forgive. What we've just shown is that Leviticus says, no, he can't. Those, those words, you have to be accepted. You have to be atoned for. You have to receive favor. Implication, without a sacrifice, you have none of these. And so this is at the core of the foundation of God's revelation. And so if you just take that out and tell God that, you know, you really should, you should just forgive. We know better. Uh, you're rejecting his salvation for you, and that is no small thing. So there's atonement, but then there's consec- consecration. Right? A life that is totally devoted to the Lord. Now we're getting into a warm season and we have picnics outside and I love picnic foods and one of my favorite foods is deviled eggs. One thing I know about deviled eggs, I've never made them, but I know that they don't happen by accident. You don't just go and look at the the refrigerator and then all of a sudden, five minutes later, there's your deviled eggs. It, It takes a lot of work. Now, kids, can you imagine if your mom was making deviled eggs, or maybe she doesn't make deviled eggs, but something that takes a lot of work, a lemon meringue pie, or something that's intricate, and, and it's, it's, it's for a church picnic, or a fellowship hour, or family gathering. Say, hey, Mom, can I have a few of those? What's she going to say? Absolutely not. Right? You can't just pick at the size. No, this, this is set apart. It, it's, it's been put aside for a special purpose. Right? That's what it means to be devoted to the Lord. We're set aside completely for the Lord. Now, you might ask, where do you get this from the text of the burnt offerings? And it doesn't explicitly say that, but I believe that's the clear intention. Let me just, let me, let me tease that out a little bit. First of all, remember the idea of the incense, that the sacrifice is turned to smoke and it's incense and it's completely consumed. Now, all of the sacrifice, some of it is turned to incense, but in the burnt offering, it's a complete burning up of the animal. 
Right? This is a pure animal that takes the place of the sinner, and it's, it's something that ascends to God completely in a way that pleases him. And, and it, it symbolizes then not just that, that our, our sins have been taken by, by some substitute or ransom covering for something that we couldn't do by someone's pure, but it also describes now how God sees us and what we are to become. As Leviticus will later say, after the Day of Atonement, after Atonement, the Lord says, okay, now be holy as I am holy. And you are to live a life that is pure like this animal was pure. And, and as it turns to incense, it, it talks about being devoted to God, being dedicated to God. And this fits with what you see for the command to offer burnt offerings in the morning and the evening every day. Turn with me to Exodus 29, just a few pages earlier. This is as you're getting the commands for the tabernacle. This would be page 70, Exodus chapter 39, starting at verse 38. Now, this is what you should offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and a drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. And so this, the, the symbolism here is that you have these burnt offerings morning and evening, really symbolizing throughout the day, this, this pleasing incense rising to the Lord as God's people live with him and, and serve with him. There, right? So there's, there's this, 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 this picture going on. And, and the burnt offering, to further kind of strengthen the case of this being devoted to the Lord, is used to express faithfulness or obedience. And by the most famous example of this is Genesis 22. God promises Abraham many things, be the father of many nations, uh, wealth and land and riches, which, which he possesses some of, but, but the fullness of his promises is supposed to come through a son. And he has no son until the Lord intervenes and gives Abraham the son who will be the fulfillment of all his promises. And then the Lord says, Abraham, take Isaac, your son, your only son, and offer him as a burnt offering on the place where I will show you. Abraham, are, am I the most important thing in your life? Then prove it to me. Give me your beloved son. And, of course, the Lord graciously intervenes and provides a lamb. But this is a burnt offering where it's a, it's a sign of Abraham's, it was a test, but, but it's, 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 it's couched in the sign of devotion to God. I will just note here that Leviticus language is already in the book of Genesis. You, you might have this idea that what we might call formalized religion of Israel doesn't happen until Mount Sinai, but, but in Genesis, you'll see hints of this. You hear Sabbath and, and clean and unclean animals and burnt offerings. It's already there. And this idea of burnt offerings then is contrasted with disobedience. We won't go there, but we actually, we actually read some of that this morning in Psalm 50. You can also look at Psalm 51 where it talks about, I don't desire burnt offerings or sacrifices. I desire worship with a sincere heart. I desire obedience. And that is because burnt offerings symbolize devotion to the Lord. And so if you offer this offering without being devoted to the Lord, it's an insult. 
devoted to the Lord. So let's apply this. People of God, you are devoted to the Lord. You are set apart as special. Jesus is your burnt offering, and no, so God owns you. As we said in the Heidelberg Catechism, I am not my own. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. To start 1 Corinthians 1. I want us to see as we apply this how the New Testament picks up this language. It speaks exactly to your life. The very beginning, 1 Corinthians 1, by the way, this is page 952. Paul addresses the church in Corinth, chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul says, you are saints. You are set apart ones. You, you have been made holy. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You have a holy and special purpose in serving the Lord. Now, we don't use saints that much anymore these days. It was more in the vernacular maybe a couple decades ago. But, but when we do, we usually make either too much or too little of it. You know, ah, oh, Carol, you're a saint. You know, you, you helped me fix my tire. Probably too low of a use of the word. Or, man, my grandmother, she's a saint. Right? You're setting this bar so high that only certain people with their godliness that they have done can obtain it. But far from being a trivial title or, or a level of holiness that only a few can attain, a saint is a beautiful and weighty title for all Christians. If you flip over to Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says in verse 11, after talking about the sinful ways that people had lived their lives before they knew Christ, Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, you, you have a completely new identity. You are set apart for a purpose in Christ, and now you live to reflect and honor the Lord who bought you. Notice how Paul can use this language. We, we, we use this for the, the call to worship in, in chapter 5, verse 7. It talks about cleanse out the old leaven, the yeast, which, which symbolized corruption. It says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for you. Jesus died as the sacrifice. Therefore, now you keep the feast. There's, there's a connection between Jesus dying and you living. In the first in Corinthians 6, at the end of the chapter, Paul says these wonderful words. But you are not your own. You were bought with a price to so glorify God in your body. So the application, your lives a living sacrifice, is simply, as the Apostle Paul says, be who you are. Right? You were created to be set apart. See yourselves at that and then claim God's power to live that way. Think about this, David. My life is a gift to God. Do you believe that? You might say, yes, yes, yes. You know, we eat and drink and everything we do is the glory of God. But I do think that our independence, our, our cultural location gets in the way of this. The, the, we talked about this in Sunday school, too. The, the blessing of our American heritage is also sometimes a curse. And our founding fathers threw off the rule of King George III. We don't need a king. Everyone's entitled to what? Pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Which means now that I get to pursue my, my own agenda, even define my, my whole identity, you know, it is the height of countercultural to believe that you owe anyone anything, let alone be totally devoted to them. What are the voices that you hear today? You deserve it. Just do it. Your way right away. Stay thirsty, my friends. Yogi Taco Bell. 
It's, it's, it's just all about me and my desires and, and what I want. The truth is that you belong to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you can't have any fun or enjoy things, but, but that you are devoted to Jesus and that holiness is not a line where I say, okay, I have to avoid sin, but how much sin can I still do and be okay with God? Right? Well, I, I'm going I'm to do my, my quote of obedience, but is, is there a, a little bit of indulgence that I can do? No, no. No, it's, it's much more like being a faithful steward. Someone's entrusted you with $1,000 and said, use this to bless other people. And, and, and so you know, I, I can only spend it that way. My, these gifts are for me to use. Now, our culture says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is all about your defining yourself. The Lord says, I've rescued you. I've given you a new identity. I've defined you. I've set you apart as holy. And now as you grow in, in, in that experience of holiness, you will, you will see true life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what does this look like? Next sermon will be even more specific, but let's finish with, with three applications as we, as we look at this. First of all, we reject idolatry. Now, how do we give ourselves to worship of other things before God? We do this all the time. We place something as more important to him. Something that's prevalent in our culture is pornography. It's everywhere. Our nation is obsessed and consumed with the over-sexualizing of human bodies. Now, when you're fighting something as, as pernicious as pornography, it takes many things. It takes, it takes the community of faith. It takes a brother or sister hold you accountable. But fundamentally, the beginning of that battle says, this is not who I am. I'm devoted to the Lord. I'm set apart for the Lord. Arm me for this fight. Or what about those respectable sins? Eating. Eating is a great gift, but there's a point when you know you've eaten more food than you should. More than even feasting allows and food becomes your God rather than your gift. You say, Lord, I'm yours. Would you, would you help me to enjoy this food in a way that pleases you? We could talk about wasting time online or, or whatever it is today. There's even those respectable sins where we, we give ourselves to something else instead of the Lord. And so what you should do is you repent and you claim your new identity. I, I will say that, uh, especially in perhaps these, the, the pervasive little sins that I fight with, that, that, that want to suck away my energy and divert my love towards the Lord from the Lord, when... I am gaining victory, and the Lord's giving me victory. It's, it's, it's by claiming this. I, I'm a set aside for the Lord right now. This, I can't do this. I'll give you a concrete illustration. Yesterday, I went, I went to drill, and um, I took the remainder of the cookies with me. I put them in the freezer, and, and um, we were going to go out to the range. I thought, this is great. I'm going to finish up the cookies, give them to the soldiers. And, and as often happens in the Army, they didn't, they didn't do a range that day. They just threw the schedule out and did something else, and okay. So I was there, and on the, as I was getting ready to go home, though, I was just kind of hungry, and I thought, man, those cookies look good. I want those cookies. And, and you know me, it's like, it's like Lay's, I can't just have one, right? And so I just imagined eating 15, 10, 15 cookies, and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll immediately, my body would not like me. I would immediately regret it. Um, a couple of days later, I'd probably still regret it. But I thought, you know, I've been thinking about this truth, and that would not be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That, that would not be a way of using my body that would honor him. Now, there's probably a little bit of accountability as I was going to preach about this the next day. I think, how, can I, how can I preach this tomorrow if I'm eating cookies today? But, but truly, that truth was powerful in helping me say, no, this is not what I should be doing. 
So we should reject idolatry. But then we also rejoice in his good gifts. Devotion to the Lord is not simply avoiding sin, but living all out for the Lord. So what about those respectable sins where there is nothing wrong with eating, for instance, a few cookies? A month earlier, we had my, my Elizabeth's grandmother's 90th birthday. She loves cookies. They had cookies. I'm going to eat cookies to the, to the glory of the Lord. And I did. Did I regret it for the next two days? Yes, but I believe it was to the glory of the Lord. There's a time where we can celebrate and enjoy and praise the Lord. And so if the Lord has given you a, a beautiful home or, or means to be well off, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. But, but you should praise God. You should be generous. You should use your home to nurture your family or to, to invite people in or wherever the Lord has blessed you. So we don't just avoid idolatry. We shouldn't just be known for not doing bad things. But that we as Christians consciously enjoy God's gift with good and thankfulness and then we offer them back in a way that pleases Him. Right? We enjoy His good gifts. There's one more. I'll list one more way to be devoted to the Lord. If Jesus is not your superhero to pluck you out of danger, but a Savior who transforms you, then what should you expect your life to look like in this world? What was Jesus known for? Suffering. The way of the cross. He calls us to embrace suffering as we devote our lives to him. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross and he says to you, take up your cross and follow me. Now, success gurus today talk about mantras that help you keep focused. Not even, not magical incantations, but things that as you say, it, it, it keeps you focused and, and it becomes a reality. How about take up your cross and follow me for your mantra? Don't think of it. So many books. He didn't just suffer so you and I could avoid pain. He died as a sacrifice so that the suffering you experience transforms you instead of crushing you. Do you understand that you are devoted to God then you can see suffering as the way it's identifying with your Messiah. And, and when you do this, the Lord is glorified. Right? Peter was the disciple who, who avoided suffering by denying Christ. But later, eventually, as far as church tradition says, he was crucified like Jesus. This whole book, the first Peter, is about suffering. He says Christ suffered as an example for you on, on the cross. He's, he traces out the pattern and we follow after him. And when Peter later and the apostles were beaten in the temple, they, they rejoiced. In Acts 5.41 it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Pastor Rick Warren said, The problem with us being living sacrifices is that we want to crawl off the altar. Hmm. One of my idols is comfort. There's a point where I start hurting and my default mode is not... How can I glorify the Lord in this suffering? I just want it to be over. I want to check out. How do you fight that? How do you fight this discomfort, this pain? You say, this suffering is not a pointless exercise, but it's a way to be totally devoted to Jesus. You can ask, Lord, would you teach me? Would you, would you transform me in and through my suffering? Would you meet me here? 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The Apostle Paul gave his life, was literally poured out to death for the glory of God. And so what does it look like? Well, it, it, it means accepting the consequences of following Jesus, the stigma of being a Christian at school. Not a jerk, as Peter would say, you don't, you don't glorify God if you're suffering for being a jerk, but when you follow Christ truly and sincerely and boldly, 
Perhaps you lose a job or you're passed over for promotion or, or even in Christians in other countries, prison or persecution. It might simply be calling out to God in prayer, whatever, instead of numbing whatever pain you have. Now, this is not triumphant. The Lord calls us to suffer together. We're not Jesus on the cross. We need community. We need people speaking this truth and this identity into us. But as we are limping, as we are sore, as we are sinful, as we are failing in our suffering, we can go to our Lord who lived perfectly for us and say, would you help me in my pain and suffering to offer myself up as a burnt offering pleasing to you? And so, you become a living sacrifice. Ascending to the Lord in a pleasing aroma. Not not in the sense that your works bring you to God. Jesus has done that. But now you are acting according to your new nature. And you have this hope that you have been raised with Christ and one day you will be raised in His presence. And so, in the meantime, as you go out this week, see the sacrifices, the, the difficulties, the things that you do for the Lord as giving Him a gift. Uh, as pleasing as it was in the Old Testament, this, this incense. And so by His grace, reject idolatry. Enjoy His good gifts. And embrace suffering. Christian, you are living sacrifices in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. Please pray with me. Lord, we, we ask that you would continue to be informing and transforming our minds that, that our categories would not be someone as, as an independent king or ruler who has whatever control or whatever authority we have over our own lives, but that we belong to you. And that is where true happiness and freedom is. We pray now that as, as we transition that, that our prayers would be living and fragrant offerings to you as well. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.